Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability, young and old, to attain prosperity and personal happiness. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Liberty Chats, a new podcast from the Steamboat Institute. My name is Lindsay Martin, a member of the Emerging Leaders Council, a leadership program out of the Institute, and I'm excited to be a part of this podcast. The Steamboat Institute is a conservative organization based out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and we are dedicated to promoting the values of freedom, liberty, and civil dialogue. Today, our guest is Charlie Kirk. Charlie is the founder and president of Turning Point, a national student movement dedicated to identifying, organizing, and empowering young people to promote the principles of free markets and limited government. Since its inception in 2012, Turning Point has representation in thousands of high schools and college campuses across the country and now has over 400 people on staff. Charlie has been a Fox News contributor columnist at The Hill and has appeared on Fox News and Fox Business. He has been ranked the second most influential conservative on social media and has appeared on Forbes 30 under 30 list. With 1.5 million followers on Instagram, 1.7 million followers on Twitter, and 900,000 likes on Facebook, Charlie has a strong and growing social media presence. Charlie, it is a pleasure to have you as a speaker today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. And we just had you last August at our annual Freedom Conference. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I I love the work that the Steamboat Institute does. I love Steamboat Colorado. And it was nice to be, where were we, in Vail? That was really nice too. We were at Beaver Creek. That's right. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. So to kick off our discussion today, as this new administration has begun, what do you believe we as conservatives should do during these next four years? Yeah, this is a question uh, I get a lot. And I think that we as conservatives need to be very clear of what our objectives are, understand that you know it's going to be a very frustrating uh, couple of months and probably a couple of years. And I think that you know we need to support the people in the conservative movement that are making a tangible difference. And so, you know, these these moments come and they're never fun. You know, I remember back in 2008 when Obama and the Democrats took control of the House and the Senate, and that was not fun. And we kind of had to claw our way back. And this is a similar situation. It's not as bad. I think we're going to take back the House pretty confidently in 2022, which will then buy us a little bit of time. But look, our, our country has a lot of pressing issues and problems. And I think the Republican Party needs to go through some really important soul searching. And I think we need to continue to be a working class party representing the muscular class in our country um, and being unafraid to really uh, represent represent the need, wants and interests of uh, of kind of the forgotten men and people, something I think President Trump did very, very well. And so there's a lot of opportunity. I tell people 
don't be depressed. Be optimistic. Our best days are ahead. I know that there is a lot of doom and gloom. I'm not going to really engage in it. Instead, I think we have to pioneer forward. So just this past weekend, you attended and spoke at CPAC about the growing influence of big tech among elections, the government, and just the whole country, the world. (laughs) What do you believe is the solution to managing this level of power um, when it comes to like regulation, censoring, Mm -hmm. all of those different different things. And that is a big, big topic. Yeah. I mean, I, to, to just kind of, yeah, it's a really important question and thank you for asking it. I uh, spoke at CPAC this last weekend and I only talked about big tech and Rush Limbaugh. That was it. So I mentioned Rush and then I just talked about big tech and I make the argument that Google is more powerful than our federal government, that Google has uh, more ability to manipulate speech, uh, digitally assassinate people, control human behavior than our own federal government does. That's not to say our federal government does not have power, but Google really has become a center point of where the conversation and where political opinions are formed amongst many other things. And so I think that we as conservatives should be unafraid um, to be to have a conversation to challenge entrenched corporate interests. I am not a corporatist. Um, I think we should always have pro-growth, pro-free market, pro-liberty solutions. But I'm not afraid to talk about regulating the tech companies. I don't think we as conservatives should be afraid of using the tools at our disposal to liberate and open market principles. And so I think that there is a growing concern in our country over um, the threat of big tech and Google that they pose. I'm not afraid to talk about it. I don't know all the solutions. I think more ideas, the better. Uh, Sue them go after them for monopolistic behavior, tie them up in the courts and potentially even break them up. Okay. Okay. So kind of shifting gears as we are seeing division among members of the Republican party, and this has to do with, you know, people in their twenties, thirties, all the way through, as we are seeing this division, what things can we do to help bridge that gap and to bring members of the party on the same page, because it isn't just with their age, it's with the people on the Trump train and then people who are on this other side. How do we bring that together? Yeah, I prefer clarity over agreement. I will say that I would rather be very clear about our differences in the Republican Party. I think one of the biggest reasons we have division and I'm not saying it's healthy is because we are not really sure who stands for what and who actually is going to defend the ideas we care about. So for example, if Liz Cheney wants to be clear and say, here's what I believe on foreign policy. I believe in a adventurous foreign policy and endless wars. And then someone like Rand Paul can be clear and say, I want to end those wars. And I think we need to be more restrained. I love that. For me, I think clarity over agreement is important because then people are able to make the best decisions. And I think once you're clear, you'll say, okay, Maybe Liz Cheney and Rand Paul agree on something, not nothing. I think a lot of the the problems is that we are not able to get enough information, probably because people disguise themselves and they have shifting positions. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that say the Republican Civil War is is a bad thing, and that's probably true generally. But I think that right now we need to have robust discussion and debate. I think at this moment we should be unafraid to dive right into this uh, very 
uh, very consequential, uh, it, just to say, uh, moment in, in the conservative movement to define who we are as conservatives, why we believe what we believe, and what is the future of our party. And one follow-up question. Do you believe that some of that division doesn't actually exist, but that the media amplifies it and makes it actually something that it might not, you know, exist to the level that we feel that it does? Yeah, probably. I think that probably Republicans have a lot more in common than not. I think there are some very important distinctions. I think some people have some votes they have to explain, such as the impeachment votes that uh, are completely inexplicable to me and to many other voters. And so insofar that the party uh, is going to want to move forward and win elections, I think we have to try to figure that out. But I think that most members of the Republican Party generally agree that America is a great country, that we are the greatest country ever to exist, that we want to make we want to make policy decisions to preserve our republic, that we should judge people on character, not skin color. I, I, the Democrats don't believe any of that stuff. Right. And so I do think that there is more potential for unity than division. So as I was preparing for our discussion, I received a question from one of our Emerging Leaders Council members, which this council, uh, we have members who range in age from 18 to about 30. And so from our member, Juliet, she wanted to ask you, what is your advice for, I guess, interacting communicating with the biased media coming from our conservative views? Yeah, it's um, it's very difficult. The, the media will misrep- misrepresent your positions, but just try to have dialogue. I love the mission of the Steamboat Institute. Civil dialogue is very important. I try to do that. Um, I'm not afraid to talk to anyone, and I definitely don't compromise my positions, but I try not to raise my voice or get too excited or try to uh, try to let's just say, go in a direction that would would turn into ad hominem attacks or personal insults. And so I think that the you know when you interact with the media or how we try to get our position out, stay factual, stay fair, stay reasonable, but also don't compromise your positions. And if the media is then going to misrepresent you as being something you're not, then that's on them, not on you. But I tell people just in communication in general, don't attack people based on their just they they sound funny or whatever just on their arguments that, that that's the most important thing for sure for sure and um, so what are your thoughts and i have seen you discuss this several several times but um would you like to share what are your thoughts about president biden signing a record number of executive actions during his time in office up to this point what does this say about the progressive agenda and their narrative yeah I mean, elections have consequences, right? So he's president. He has a prerogative to do that. Do I think it's good for the country? No. What bothers me the most is that he didn't run on that. So if he would have become president promising he was going to sign a bunch of executive orders about men being able to go in women's locker rooms and ending the Keystone Pipeline, I wouldn't have much of a complaint. I'd say that's what the people wanted. He disguised himself to be something completely different, which is this unifying moderate that will bring people together and broad-based consensus. I have seen none of that. Zero. I have not seen any of what he ran on, any of what he promised, any of what his State of the Union address was on. And so 
I think there's a very serious concern there because if all of a sudden you are going to represent yourself in elections as one thing and govern as another, well, that's how you get a lot of dissent from the people because they're going to feel betrayed. They're going to feel lied to. And for good reason. One final question. Um, What would you say is, I think because this is our newest podcast series, Liberty Chats, um, what is one final thought that you have about us moving forward uh, into this next year with all of our thoughts about what's happened from the, the past you know, year of things that really happened and then things that were twisted. What are your final thoughts? Yeah, I think that the, my biggest piece of advice to everyone is just go on a blitz of learning. Go deep into the great ideas that built our country. Get back into the classics of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, John Locke, Thomas Hobbes, Go really go dive deep, you know, get 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 brushed up on your Montesquieu, the Federalist Papers, the Founding Fathers. The more the more you learn, the more things will make sense and the more you'll be compelled towards action. I'm a big believer in that. This is kind of a lull moment, right? I mean, I do podcasting, I do radio, I do YouTube. Uh, some of our numbers are doing really well on podcasts. On YouTube, numbers are down. People are just disengaged. People are like, I'm done for this year. You know what I mean? And so what a great opportunity for those of us that are now in a leader position. Say, okay, I'm going to get myself ready for when people's attention comes back, right? And I don't have the luxury necessarily to do it. I have to do a radio show every day. But what I'm saying is that if you're kind of listening to this and you're like, I'm done with politics, I don't care. That's fine. Go deep into the ideas, learn why you believe what you believe and become better at articulating them. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for joining us today on our Liberty Chats. To our listeners, if you have enjoyed our chat today, please share and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or on our website. And we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's Liberty Chat. I'm Erica Anderson, the producer of the podcast. Our podcast editor is Fingers Malloy. My co-producers include Charlotte Whalen, Zachary Rogers, Lindsay Martin, and Christina Eastman, all members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council, who represent the next generation of free market, free speech leadership. We hope you tune in again for our next Liberty Chat episode.